Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this on the Continent Transfer Special, your definitive guide to the news across Europe. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Miguel Delaney. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition... So what are Manchester United getting for their 72 million slice of Danish from Atalanta? Also, after turning down a potential billion-dollar deal in Saudi, would Kylian Mbappe really consider a loan move to Liverpool in what's looking increasingly like a gap year for him? And what about the other most sought-after transfer targets who still can't get a deal? Plus, your transfer window questions. Before we begin, we have an important announcement. This is our last episode of On the Continent, on the Ramble feed, of course. We're headed over to our brand new On the Continent feed for next season, featuring our regular main show, plus Ask OTC, where we take your questions, and OTC Reacts, where we give our hot takes on the biggest breaking news. So hit the link to subscribe in the show notes or search On The Continent in your podcast app and we'll be there. So Hoyland, first of all, to Manchester United. 
Uh, this question, Miguel, seems to sum up <laughs> what a lot of people are thinking. Uh, this question from Goofy Goober on Instagram. Are Manchester United paying too much for the hype around Rasmus Oiland, or could he be the real deal? Well, I, uh, it's, a, it's a high price. There's no getting around that. Some of that is reflective of the market. Some of that is reflective of the fact it's Manchester United and a Premier League club that's coming. So let's not overlook that. Obviously, there's real potential there. Uh, Eric Ten Hag really likes him. Um, he he, he th- thinks there's huge room for growth. He thinks he can give him a lot of what he wants now. Um, but it's one of those, I mean, say if, if Brighton signed... Or, or, or you know, or, or, or Ajax or someone signs um, Hoyland for thirty million or so at this age, it, w- it would be seen as kind of one of those upwardly mobiles. And seventy-two million just changes the dynamic, and it does put an immediate pressure on him, even though he's one of the most promising young forwards in Europe. But the, I mean, there's an interesting thing here as well, is where, and I suppose we'll get to this in terms of the wider market later. But from what I've been told, there's essentially kind of like a tiered. Uh, number nine market this summer where um, a number of clubs want a goal scorer uh, and there are very few available uh, and it almost goes in order I mean excluding Mbappe given that, I'm not sure you mean to call him a number nine but he's, he's going to be on anyone else anyway but it essentially goes Kane Colomuani or it was Osman but he's basically been priced out of the market um, Colomuani uh, Hoyland's in there and then Vlaovic and I, we'll, we'll come to all those but just because of that, it's kind of created this stretch on his price, which has made which has made United go. Now, it's, it's not seventy two million all in; it should be stressed as well. Uh, but certainly, Eric Ten Hag feels he's worth it, and Nicky will uh, explain more as to why. Yeah, indeed, mm. Nicky. What are Manchester United getting for their seventy two million quid, or however much it is in you know real money terms? <laughs> yeah, it's it's they're getting um, a lottery ticket, maybe I don't know, but that makes it sound too unlikely, doesn't it? I don't mean a lottery ticket, and that it's a a one in. 50 million chance or whatever the lottery ticket is now to, to pay dividends you know it's he's they're buying someone who's who's very very unpolished diamond I would say he's got some qualities about him that stand out right away he's extremely sort of explosive in his acceleration he's got this he's odd because he's he's tall like Harland I mean he's six foot three or so I think and and he's he's got the sort of I think there's an inevitable comparison that's happened with Haaland just because they're both Nordic and they both sort of have that tall physical um, build and they're both um, number nines and their names sound similar. There's sort of inevitable <laughs> things that happened. But he's he's nowhere sort of near at the same point as where Haaland is and whether he'll ever be a player on the same... I mean, almost nobody's on the same level as Haaland, so that's ridiculous to even ask that question of whether he can get to that level. But he's he's... He's very much at that unpolished stage. I think he's got this, as I say, height about him, but quite a low centre of gravity. He's got quite a long torso. It's an odd thing to sort of focus on, but Gasparini, his manager, talked about it a few times. That makes him him move in a very particular way, and he's very surprisingly quick. And that explosiveness around the penalty area is is a real asset. You see him make these moves on defenders that that, that seem to catch everyone out, and and the way that he goes from from naught to a hundred. Has, has been a real asset for him. He's got that aggression attacking the area. He's got that swagger about him that the best young players do. For someone who's 20 years old, he talks about himself and he carries himself with a confidence on the pitch sometimes that that I think almost you can only have at that age. I think sometimes even the best older players have sort of got a different kind of maturity about them. There's this sort of slightly naive 
confidence that can come with youth sometimes. I think he's got that's a good thing. But in the end, you're still talking about someone who scored nine goals last season. He had some patches when he looked really, really unplayable. But at, before the World Cup, I think it was something like playing mostly off the bench, but something like one goal in 15 games. He he is someone who's had these runs of looking really, really fierce and unstoppable. And has had other runs of looking like, well, last season he was still a teenager, looking like a teenager. And I would say if I have reservations about him, it would be that that physicality and explosiveness is more rare in Serie A than it is in the Premier League. So when you go into the Premier League, you're going to face that physicality and explosiveness more. Defenders are going to be ready for it more. I think in some of the games against the best defenders in Serie A, those were the ones where he looked more unable to impose himself when he played against the best clubs. And I think that this is a big step to being expected to score goals for Atlanta, to being expected to be the number nine at that price for Manchester United. And it doesn't mean that he can't succeed. He's got a a good attitude. He's got a good set of physical tools. But definitely, as Miguel just said, it's, it's a lot of money and it's an uncertainty about where he's going to end up. Could be brilliant. Could be everything that we think he could be. But but we're not could there be. yet. And it's 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 definitely a, a question mark for me. Yeah, clearly a lot of could be's um, mm. from what Nikki is saying. How have we got to this position, Miguel, that a, a player that scores nine goals in a season, which adds up, and correct my mathematics if you will, to about eight, Eight million quid per goal last season. How how have we got to the stage where a player like this is being uh, transferred for so much money that it seems inconceivable to even people who have seen him play uh, for Atalanta? Well, the short answer that covers a massive topic, uh, maybe even way beyond what we're talking about, is that Europe stopped producing strikers. Um, I mean that that's what it really comes down to. Now there are we are beginning to see a shift because. So many academies have realized this. But the current situation, and even this kind of number nine search we're talking about, is basically because it's essentially that that Spanish-German academy model, which was, for most of the right reasons at the time, was based on obviously technical mastery of the ball, um, kind of a a space perception. It, It ended up producing basically scores of defensive midfielders, central midfielders, attacking midfielders kind of number eights almost and um, kind of these utility players but one of the common complaints and actually it was Wenger that was the first to articulate this was that because because um, it was almost like that sort of academy coaching had become so homo- uh, um, her- hermetically sealed almost that there wasn't it, it, it didn't kind of hone the more distinctive and kind of off the cuff a bit, kind of sort of kind of um, abilities that can only be trained or can only be honed in game like those required by centre halves and centre forwards and there was actually kind of a double effect there really where they weren't coming against you they weren't kind of duels and it's, it's why at the time Wenger pointed to South America uh, and, and that's what we're seeing now now I, I, I do think we could, it could be the beginning of a shift but it's amazing even like when this came up uh, as long ago as a year ago where when Hoyland was even younger when he didn't have this season on his back he was still being mentioned even then as one, well, as one of the ones that breaks a trend, so that's part of the reason why he's um, he, uh, he he's going for this kind of price. 
I, I think that's really interesting just to jump in on that. Like, I think it's really interesting that, you know, that going back to this sort of inevitable, slightly eye-rolly Haaland um, comparison, I think what was interesting, even with Erling Haaland at the beginning at Manchester City, there were these conversations around actually, like, even though he's scoring all these goals, is having a number nine who's a number nine in the old sense, what top European clubs need? That question was being asked even last season for a little bit at Manchester City, right? And, and... Hoyland is definitely that. He's not He's not going to play with his back to goal, or at least not at this point in his career, effectively. You want him attacking the penalty area. You want him playing as an old-fashioned centre-forward. He's got that that strength in the air. He's got that explosiveness. He wants to be breaking into the box and, and, and getting behind defenders. And, and I do think that there's always been copycat in the way that teams approach football at the highest level you always see successful models being copied and I do wonder if City's success last season winning the treble almost sort of gives everyone permission again to say actually yes we do want number nines who who are like old-fashioned number nines but Manchester United will want more than nine or ten goals a season from him what does he have to do to fit into the Manchester United system, if you like, under Ten Hag? Because they certainly aren't going to fit around him, are they? Well, on that, I suppose, I mean, he signed um, the... <laughs> to put his divisive, even the word, uh, the sometimes lampooned Vout Veghorst, uh, primarily to kind of hold the, hold the ball, uh, allow the forwards to play off him, which, which, which meant maybe there should have been some sympathy for Veghorst as well, although... although it's maybe not it's not uncharitable to say that his finishing in the box wasn't necessarily the best, uh, but I I think Ten Hag wants that and more, and it's like he's mentioned kind of burst into the area, and like what what he wants his team is almost really to be, or something close to an ideal would be say the victory over Barcelona in the at Old Trafford in the Europa League last season where they were just lightning quick, uh, and. Uh, players in those key positions able to offer that really swift link play. And I think that will be one plan uh, for Hoyland. Uh, but um, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's the first move, really, in this summer's uh, very, well, at the moment, constricted transfer, or, uh, or sorry, number nine market. There, there were other potential strikers that Manchester United could look to Italy for, Nicky, <laughs> not least the uh, the estranged Romelu Lukaku, for want of a better phrase, uh, with uh, his relationship with uh, Inter and then potentially Juventus. Yeah, well, Lukaku's of course had his had his try at Manchester United. He's having a he's having a very particular summer, Romelu Lukaku. I I um I feel like this sort of saga where he. It was genuinely was the number one target for Inter up front. Inter have, have got some very sort of specific needs to try to fill this summer. They've got no money really to do it. Um, they raised the money by saying under Anana and that money they are, it looks like, going to try to reinvest. And and one of the sort of clear spaces where they wanted to invest some of that money was up front because Edin Dzeko's gone and Lukaku's gone. So you either need to bring Lukaku back in or bring someone else in. And... Um, and Inter wanted Lukaku and Inter sort of wanted Lukaku as a club. They wanted him because he's been there before, because he'd been successful, because he had a good relationship on the pitch with Lautaro Martinez, who is really the star there in terms of, of attacking talent. And um, and they wanted him because um, because they know he's had seasons. Last season was a, a bit of a slog, actually. There was a long period last season where he didn't score a goal from open play, but they know that he's capable of it. And and so he was he was the one and 
of course, we all know what happened. He flirted with Juventus. He had conversations with Juventus. Inter found out and Inter said, no, thank you. Then if you want to go and, and talk to our biggest rival, we'll, we'll look elsewhere because they don't want to get involved in a bidding war because Inter can't do a bidding war. They can't afford to do it. Um, and a lot of people at Inter took it very personally. Lautaro has been talking even in the last few days about, you know, honestly, like some of it sort of makes you think it's really like upset people because Lautaro said, you know, he was my friend and he stopped responding to my text messages. Like it feels like this actual sort of personal relationships that have been that have been impacted in this. But yes, Lukaku is is finding himself as as a bit of a lost man in all of this. I don't think he's wanted well certainly not with the Hoyland deal back at Manchester United um and he's now not wanted by Inter and it's no longer clear if Juventus are going to push ahead for the deal they, they were talking about doing with him um it almost feels like part of that was was the the the, the, the messing up Inter was part of the fun they were having with that a little bit Inter have already looked to for Larin Balogan the um well former should I say he still is a Arsenal a player, isn't he? Because he was on loan at Ream last year. Did okay out there. Could he fill in the role of their beloved or formerly beloved Lukaku at Inter? I would say more than okay, Totten. I think he scored 21 goals. I think it was the most goals of, of any player 21 and under in, in Europe's top five leagues. I might be wrong on that, but I think I think that's correct. He he had a he had a brilliant time there, including some, you know, big goals against um PSG. And and I think he's another really interesting sort of case study in what is the correct price for a young footballer whose talent is still uncertain. Because yes, it was a brilliant season, but of course if he had a brilliant season like that, why are Arsenal not sort of rushing him back instead of spending money on, for instance, Kai Havertz? Well, the answer is being sort of blunt about it. People look at Stad Rem and say, is that the same standard as playing against Premier League defenders? Uh, is it going to be, you know, is that number proof of of what he can do? And and that's, it doesn't mean it isn't, but it's it's an uncertain question. And so it looks like Arsenal are willing to let him go for something in the region of £50 million. Um, pounds. Uh, Inter are very interested and certainly not going to pay £50 million. So Inter are doing um, exactly what they, they will always try to do with Beppe Marotta there, leading the transfer um, activity, which is say, what can we do and when can we do it? Can we get a lower price? Can we get especially a loan with an optional obligation to buy? What price can we pay next season? What can we do in terms of intermediary payments? And they've been pitching their sort of offers around the 35 million euro mark which is obviously some way short of 50 million pounds um and and that negotiation is is ongoing and i think arsenal certainly would like more but right now no one else has showed up yet with more miguel uh, nikki mentioned we might find out what you know strikers are really worth uh, with regards to Folarin balogan arguably we might find out what uh Dusan Vlavic is really worth Juventus striker who now seems to be on his way out, not least when they're having conversations with uh, their rivals uh, centre forward in Lukaku. What is Vlavic really worth? It feels like we're here again talking about Vlavic. It's almost a, a seasonal conversation. Where is he off to next? So why is it so difficult to find a home for one of the previously much talked about centre forwards in Europe, when we're when we're lacking centre forwards, well, it's now happened twice twice a year, isn't it? Basically, <laughs> uh, and certainly he's uh, 
he's not worth what he was 18 months ago when let's not forget he um he i think there was almost a point made where like his his camp sort of kind of uh, dismissed arsenal well well how would they consider that now uh, how things have changed now to be fair to have some sympathy from Vlaovic from people who know him they seem to talk about how an injury has maybe affected his career a bit uh, but clearly Juventus would be willing to sell uh, he is on this list of potential targets for clubs that, that I'm told they're all basically going off the, this same one but from everything you hear Vlaovic is very much at the bottom of that list uh, Juventus wouldn't be able to it doesn't look like they can say bring in Lukaku until they they offload Vlaovic, but currently who's the taker? Um, I think I think there had been maybe some hope from Juventus that Paris Saint Germain would come in, but that just hasn't happened. Uh, now again, it, it it could be something to look out for in this market where it gets really really busy in the last week of August, and that, that and we might see some desperation as well, and that's where there could be potential for move. But if a player is relying on that, then maybe it says a lot about where his career is right now. And certainly, yeah, Vlaovic hasn't been what maybe it should have been at Juventus. Why not, Nicky? What happened to him? Because he he was really much celebrated when he first went there, wasn't he? Yeah, I think, I mean, the the numbers tell one story, which is the the season that he joined Juventus. Of course, he joined Juventus in, in the January of 2022. And he'd already scored 17 goals that season for Fiorentina in half a season. Now, in a season and a half, since then, for Juventus, he scored exactly the same number of Serie A goals. So 17 goals in a season and a half compared to 17 goals in half a season. Um, he, he is still scoring goals. I mean, that's not nothing, 17 goals in a season and a half. It's just not what you expect for a player who who costs 70 million euros, who was this sort of big sort of investment for the future and, and supposed to be the one. And Juventus right now are certainly sort of pitching their expectations for selling him at closer to 100 million euros, which feels to me like a hard a hard sell. He's been at your club for a year and a half and he hasn't gone forwards. He's, he's sort of gone backwards. And I, th- I think there's there's really a lot that goes into the Vlahovic story that makes him an interesting case, that makes him sort of hard to assess. Uh, he clearly can score goals by the, by the bucket load. He did at Fiorentina. Even when he's joined Juventus, there were questions about, okay, he can do all this. But has he got that technical next level is he as technically elite a footballer as you should expect for that sort of money and I think those questions remain in Italy a lot of people sort of think there's things about him to really like again a bit like Hoyland you look at him and he's he looks the part he's big he's strong he's got the physicality he can certainly in some games dominate opponents using those assets um but but sometimes his finishing isn't as good as you think it should be for someone again who's costing that amount of money and, uh, you know, on, on the lighter hearted end of that, just this um, this week, there was a, a video that went viral with um, Max Allegri, the manager, doing a sort of shooting competition with Vlaovic from behind the goal where they're both sort of taking turns to try and get the ball in from some way behind the goal line, right? So you've got to cur- curl it back and get it in. And Allegri won and then sort of walks off roasting Vlaovic for not beating it. And Pogba's there and Pogba's roasting Vlaovic for losing to the manager. And Vlaovic goes, oh, well, you know, he beat you at basketball because... Seven years ago, um, Allegri had this basketball shooting competition with Pogba where Allegri won and, and never let Pogba hear the end of it. Um, but, you know, as Pogba points out, well, that's basketball. This is football and you're meant to be a striker, which it's all sort of in fun. But you feel a little bit like Vlahovic's story at Juventus has been this, you know, you're the striker and you're not doing your thing of, of putting the ball in the net. Um, I mean, honestly, like, the the other part of it 
for me is if I was a, a brilliant young talented centre forward I think Max Allegri's style of football might be the last kind of football I wanted to be involved in at this point of, of my career is he doesn't play enterprising football his teams have been eye scratchingly dull to watch sometimes and maybe Vlaovic really could be reborn as something very different in a different club as he was when he was at Fiorentina. But until then, Miguel, I imagine that Vlaovic is blocking up the transfer market for centre forwards at the moment. You know, you mentioned your tier and Mm. Harry Kane seems to be at the top of that tier. So we're expecting him to move somewhere. But even then, until he moves, we don't know where all the other players are going. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, you've touched on something there, I suppose, that uh, it's almost like it's going to take one big move to unclog this. And it seems like that has to happen at the top or the bottom. Hoyland's one, but I suppose he's he's a target, as we discussed, that's considered in that middle tier. Although it does take Manchester United out. But then one of the more interesting things that was put to me was that although United have signed Hoyland, if Kane were to become available, they would make funds, um, they, they would, allowed the extension of the budget for that just because of his commercial profile because of what he represents and also because Hoyland would be one for the future and Kane for right now so that's what I think where it could be very interesting there say if Bayern get closer to to Daniel Levy's valuation for Kane which a lot of people are talking about was 100 million and it's quite interesting there um, so I mean from everything you hear from the Bayern side they think this is going to happen um, which I have to say <laughs> given the history of Spurs and Kane uh, and what happened in 2021, although obviously the contract situation is different. It would surprise me. Um, as, as someone said to me, uh, Bayern may be confident, but they've absolutely no experience of dealing with Daniel, um, which is true. And maybe they're kind of finding out now. That said, because his contract is up next summer, uh, there is talk that the valuation that would at least kind of turn this from kind of Back, some kind of idle back and forth to proper negotiations is around 100 million. But if that were to happen, I think that's where it gets really interesting. That's where the market could go from this kind of, all these constraints to coming alive. Because I think we, you, if Daniel Levy is actively negotiating uh, Kane's sale, because previously Manchester United just didn't want to get involved with Levy get, get after, after their own experiences buying from Spurs in the past, I think they could come into it. Uh, and also I think Paris Saint-Germain would go in and go in strong, especially if they do manage to offload Mbappe but of course that's that's a lot of uncertainty there um, and but that but that's when this this market could really um, really blow up there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. You know what time it is. Go on. Nikki, you know what time it is. I don't know if I do. Should I? It's Killian Mbappe oh, wow. time. Oh, of course Because <laughs> we can't have a transfer no, window no. conversation without Killian Mbappe. And the latest, it seems almost unbelievable, given that he's turned down, you know, what could potentially have been a billion dollar uh, deal with uh, the Saudi Arabian team, Al-Hilal. The latest is that he might end up at Anfield's on loan. Oh, that can't be serious, can it? Sorry to do the John McEnroe impression. I, I think it's it's interesting what this conversation has opened up, right? So he, I was on last week talking with you about this, Josh, and we were discussing whether or not we thought Mbappe could consider that move to Saudi and what it would mean for his career. And, and in the end, I think... He hasn't shocked us by saying no to it because it would feel like at a sort of point in his career when he is very much still on the rise and his powers are continuing to grow. You don't want to make that step away from the most competitive environments. Um, But it doesn't change the greater conversation about the fact that essentially he wants to go to Real Madrid. He's got everything lined up to go to Real Madrid next year. And so how do you feel this gap between then and now. And I suppose the the conversation that happened um, about going to Saudi might have opened up the possibility to other clubs in Europe of, well, okay, if that didn't work because it was Saudi, but if there was a, a chance for him to be somewhere else for a year, could it be with us? And I, I guess that's what Liverpool are looking at, but I also don't think that Liverpool are about to put a billion dollars on the table. So whether or not PSG could consider something less for the same basic structure. We get Mbappe off our books this year, we get some money for it, and he still goes to Madrid next year. I, I imagine they'd be open to it, but the question is what the numbers are that would make it happen. A- any idea what those numbers might be, Miguel? Do you, do you believe that this could possibly happen? I think it's a bit much maybe for a Premier League team to get him for a year. Would you, I mean, and even the context of that is quite interesting, even obviously the Premier League is outside Saudi Pro League the most financially flush 
uh, in Europe by some distance. But I suppose that speaks to where Mbappe is at this point of his career, where it's a little bit like Messi two years ago, where he's almost made himself unbuyable by all but about what about three, four clubs. Uh, that's also more interesting in the context of kind of what I've been told as well about for people who know the Mbappe camp, um, that and despite him essentially being well, I mean you could you could say the, the ultimate kind of sports washing project player and that he's already playing for Paris Saint-Germain. He's had this extensive interest from Saudi Pro League. But that he apparently more than anything, he is very concerned he's very obsessed with his uh his career legacy and feels he should have kind of one of these places in the game that can that can mark him out. So apparently he was a lot more um aggravated maybe people realise that he didn't match Pele by winning his first two World Cup finals. Um and it would have been of course the only player outside Brazil to have done that. Um, but but that also tie, ties in that he, for for his, I mean, it's one of the reasons he wants to go to Real Madrid because he wants that legacy. He wants to be a Di Stefano. He wants to be a Cristiano Ronaldo now, who of course is his idol. Uh, and I think that's why it would be all the more surprising if he were to go to, even if it's for a year, it does, it does take him out of the Champions League for a, a career, for a, one of his prime seasons. Uh, but would, would something else appeal? I mean, I, I've written already that, from what I'm told, one of his main appeals in Premier League would actually be Arsenal because he quite likes the idea of doing what Henri did and delivering Arsenal a title, and particularly what would be a first title since Henri won it with the Invincibles in 2004. His mum fancies Liverpool, though. His mum's a Liverpool well, we, fan. Well, I don't know and, if he and, and, and there is, like, I mean, Liverpool have been kind of one of... Like, he's, he's like them as well because Liverpool are, have been one of the most um, prominent teams in Europe over the past few years. Is he a mummy's boy? Um, well, she is um, w- uh, one of his uh, parents. Uh, no, no. Well, she, she, she's also <laughs> one of his advisors. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I, 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 I do think it's interesting, Don, just to sort of pick up on what um, Miguel just said. Like, I suspect that if Liverpool got any indication that this was possible, and right now we don't know if there's any indication it's possible, that as soon as that sort of news that word got around you would see other Premier League clubs sticking their oar in because it's Mbappe even if it's just for a year I don't think I don't think many clubs would turn down the opportunity to have him if it was there and exactly as Miguel says if you're not the richest league in the world then what's the second richest and it's the Premier League by miles it's not close so I I, I do think if, if there was any noise that this actually was being considered you might not find that Liverpool were the only team putting their their, their offer forward is this Mbappe transfer saga, though, Nikki, indicative of the current state of the transfer, the modern transfer market? Is it indicative of unsustainable contracts that price the best players out of moves while in contract? Miguel kind of touched on it, saying that Mbappe has almost priced himself out of a transfer. But there are, as we've talked about, you know, if we take sort of Miguel's pyramid from before, there there are a whole space, a range of players who are unaffordable almost in the modern context. Yeah, I, I just think that's sort of forever been the case, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's or at least it's always felt to me, or as long as I've been covering football, it's felt to me like we're always talking about what well, these numbers are impossible, they're inconceivable, and money just always finds way of escalating and right now the money is escalating because of giant sports washing projects that are coming in and who knows what the next step will be after that but um the 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 football market has not yet reached its ceiling because it keeps going up and within that market there are always some players who find themselves in 
awkward positions of do I want to make the most money or do I want to do the thing that's going to give me the best success on the pitch and and there's always been individuals who take different decisions within that um but I don't know yeah I sort of feel like we haven't we haven't yet hit a hard ceiling perhaps like every other industry we're just waiting for the moment when AI can print a footballer and then everyone else can uh, have the market swept from underneath them and we haven't even mentioned that Chelsea also reckon they can get Mbappe um at least for a season Ted Todd Bowley is uh, talking to the PSG uh, hierarchy about it, probably as we speak now. But more generally on this topic, though, Miguel, Mikey on Instagram has asked, how can the likes of Serie A and Ligue 1 and arguably any other league in Europe, maybe including the Premier League, maybe not including the Premier League, keep competitive in Europe with this Saudi talent drain? I mean, that, I don't think that's as much of a problem yet. I mean, the, the right issue actually is still the Premier League. Um, although what, what, what the effect of the Saudi Pro League is, though, is that it just, as Nicky's touched on there, it just throws more money into the market, which greatly inflates it, which just creates this staggering effect and makes it more difficult for everyone else to kind of buy players of a necessary level. Uh, I think that's the issue. Now, there are always, of course, clever ways around that, but it still, it, it, still ta- it takes a lot. Uh, it, it, it takes a lot of intelligence investment, if not necessarily financial investment. Uh, and it's just one more uh, skewed element to the market. Um, but, I, I wonder but, if... But, 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 but on that, I mean, the, I think uh, the Saudi Pro League has been... I mean, you can see it in their actions. But from what I'm told as well, like they, they, their long-term goal is to see themselves as the next best league after the Saudi Pro League. They, I mean, they can offer better contracts than Syria or, or, or the Bundesliga um, or wh- whoever you want to bring up at this point, bar the Premier League. And I mean, it's it's all part of a wider political project. We've already seen what's happened with, with Live Golf. I think that's that's very interesting about where this goes in the medium term, if not in the short term. And also how it affects maybe smaller clubs, Nicky. Those clubs that have been very dependent upon uh, developing players uh, from a young age and then selling them on to a European league, a big name European club. Uh, now it seems as if they're developing players for one stage of their career, then potentially the bigger club has got much more um, potential revenue from making sure that player works and then moving on to Saudi. Or or would that not happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think for actually for the, the vast majority of European clubs, it, it doesn't make that much difference because the vast majority of successful European clubs, even in, in the top tier, have understood that they um, are not the top dog and that their long-term success will, the ones that are successful again, that their long-term success relies on buying cheaper and, and selling more expensive and and finding a model that, that sustains that. Again, look at clubs like Atalanta selling Hoyland for all this money one year after signing him. This is, this is what long-term success is built on for lots of clubs. I think lots of sort of traditional bigger names are having to learn that lesson the hard way. I think you're seeing that even from clubs as big as Inter now and it's it's a painful decision to have Andrea Nana for a season and go okay well we can make 50 million flipping him quick we should do it or for instance Milan who in a past generation would never have let go of a Sandro Tonali because he loves the club and he grew up nearby and he was always wanted to be there but when someone puts a big pile of cash in front of you for him that gives you long-term options that's the, the difficult decision you have to make I think I think that that is not actually that new 
for a lot of Europe because the Premier League has been running away in cash terms for a long time. It's been pulling away gradually at first and then faster and faster. And, and the gulf is, is real and not new now. It's been there for a while. And you had one or two perhaps um, who've tried to, to fight against it. And I think that perhaps Juventus are this cautionary tale of if you try to fight against that reality, you can really get yourself burned. If you insist on, no, we can still sign Ronaldo for all this money and we want to push the limits and and mm -hmm. and come up with all these clever sort of financial mechanisms that turn out to have pushed the boundaries of what what is allowed at best and you end up in court cases and you end up with your whole board resigning and you end up with with all sorts of consequences to that um so i don't think it's is necessarily negative in terms of the business model for those european clubs because if there's always richer clubs ahead of you you can always find cheap talent and flip it what is true is if Saudi do become as Miguel says like what they aspire to be one of the top um, destinations and leagues in the world the standard of your talent in your league drops off and so there might be fewer superstars in Spain and Italy and Germany and it might be that those teams find it harder and harder within the European context to compete with the Premier League clubs for the Champions League which is already a big challenge but I don't think yeah. it, it undermines their ability to do business because the fact is that Saudi money will come to them when they flip young players for profits A lot of questions for you both on social media I'm well aware that the postman doesn't carry a sack hmm. anymore unfortunately otherwise I'd say I've got a sack load of questions for you here at the bridge pod asks on Twitter which transfer so far across Europe do you think has gone completely under the radar and will turn out to be an incredible bit of business. Do you want to go first, Miguel? Um, I'm trying to think, actually. Uh, What's your yeah, thinking, Nikki? Yeah. Any, oh, God, any, any... I feel like I should have a, a ready answer for this one. I was hoping Miguel would take a second. Don't so worry. I'm going to give you both time to think about that and ask you another uh, question. Uh, this is a general one. Which team has had the most impressive window? That's an underarm one, I would have thought, for you, Nikki. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking on this one maybe... Um, it, it's it's at an incomplete stage, and I think part of my answer here is built on the thought that maybe I also believe that Harry Kane will end up there. But I think Bayern Munich are having a, a very strong summer. I think Kim Min Jae, yes, it was a release clause, so there was no sort of resistance to it once you decide to make that decision. But I think he's he's a, a brilliant signing for fifty million euros. I think the season he's just had at Napoli, coming in replacing Kaladu Koulibaly, and immediately sort of surpassing Koulibaly at Napoli. No one would have expected that in Naples. was a, a huge loss to, to Napoli at the time, perceived as, and, and, and Min Jae was just a step up. So I think he's a, a wonderful signing to go with De Ligt, also swept away from, from Serie A before um, in, in a, a year ago. So I think really nice signing there, combined with also getting Lucas Hernandez, who's forever injured, off your books for a similar fee and, and sent off to, to, to Paris Saint-Germain. That's a great trade for them. Meanwhile, domestically, they've gone to, as they always do, Bayern, two of their biggest rivals and picked off really useful players. They've taken Conrad Lehmer from RB Leipzig on a free transfer, Guerrero from Borussia Dortmund, free transfer. They've, they've done that typically Bayern thing of taking from their rivals to make themselves even stronger. They've signed a, a top, top quality centre-back and now they might, and, you know, I, I have a hunch they will, um, get Harry Kane as well I think that would be an incredible summer if they do all of that and would 
put them in my mind straight back in the sort of can win the Champions League bracket. Um, but um, even without Harry Kane, I still think you can say for the prices they've paid for what they've brought in, it's been a very strong summer for Bayern. Miguel, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially, I mean, Bayern are on this kind of constant process of, of realignment. And like, it's interesting. I mean, this touches on what Nicky was saying, I suppose, about Juventus as well, in that they've generally, I mean, I suppose Sadio Mane last year was a little bit of an exception, but that was almost partly to do with getting a star to replace Robert Lewandowski. And I suppose it's conspicuous that hasn't worked out because it's also, I think, Outside what Bayern have generally done in the last few years, which is kind of building up. I mean, because this is a, this is a, they're another club that have been affected by the kind of general process again. Now, some people might, might have too much sympathy for them, and that's fair. But equally, it's it's the reality they have to deal with. Where they obviously used to have their pick of the Bundesliga, well, now the Premier League has the pick of the Bundesliga, and within that, they've they've gone for this kind of you know, they've always gone for these players in that in that bracket of kind of now eighteen to twenty four, uh, and it's it it has. Okay, last season the Champions League didn't give the best reflection themselves. I mean, some of that was actually ultimately down to how good Man City were, but um, uh, still there is the potential and the capacity for a team that is really fast moving, uh, really kind of an archetype of modern football. And, and I think, yeah, this summer's business has added to that. And this is from John on Instagram. Which clubs are Nicky and Miguel concerned about going into the new season? Well, take your pick, Nikki. <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting because, of course, um, I, Italy starts a little bit later and there's, there's several teams in Serie A that I'm looking at and going, I feel like your business isn't done yet and 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 we're yet to see sort of everything that's been done. You know, I, I think Milan have made some interesting signings. I think that Pulisic is, is a really great sort of opportunity for uh, a player to um, uh, to go somewhere and, and, and have the rights of environment for them to, to, to get back where they were. Um, I think they have sort of strengthened that area behind, um, behind the attack really nicely with, um, with, with him and, and, you know, I think Loftus-Cheek in midfield is a nice signing for them as well. Uh, Chukwese coming in is really interesting, but I still feel like they haven't signed a striker. So that's bothering me. Um, I think that Napoli have done really well to hold on to Osimhen and Kvaratskhelia, but they haven't replaced Kim Minjay at all so far. And, and that bothers me. I don't know if there's one club where I feel like everything isn't as it could be, but in terms of one player who, whose departure is so significant, I, I think it, it really, it's hard to imagine them being anywhere near at the same level. I think Milinkovic Savic was so integral to Lazio that that losing him is is a really really big blow. So that's a club I, I worry for definitely. Yeah, somebody mentioned Ajax on on social media, Miguel, who for the last couple of seasons certainly um, seemed to be a feeding club for Manchester United to say the least, uh, and they might be one of several clubs in that situation. That they have to sell for whatever reason. Well, they've had this fire sale, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, it's going to take. I mean, I, I suppose it's bad for Ajax. It's it's maybe created a bit more vitality to Dutch football again, which suddenly actually seems one of the more open in Europe. Um, and and there had been the danger, especially what they did in the Champions League in 2019, and the potential returns from that. Um, that they they were going to kind of come into this period of dominance. Yeah, that's quickly dissipated. And again, I suppose that's the uh, an example of of the European market, but certainly. With the way this summer is going, and with and I think it's even, even compared to previous seasons now, uh, it, 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 and actually given that we're having this sale without having done like anything like they did in twenty nineteen, but they're losing a lot of core players at exactly the same time. 
if it gets to this. And um, and the, the next one that everyone expects to go will be uh, Kudus, who almost went to Everton last season. Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal both like him this summer. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it could be a really stripped down Ajax squad. Coming up, give me both time to think about this one. It's the final question of our OTC transfer specials of 2023. Uh, I return to the question from At The Bridge Pod on Twitter. Which transfers so far across Europe do you think has gone completely under the radar and will turn out to be an incredible bit of business? Ladies first. I, I'm I'm still not sure it's the most under the radar I could think of and um and maybe there'll be another one that'll come to my mind afterwards. But I do think Davide Fratesi uh, going to Inter is, is a really, really nice signing. He had a an excellent season um for Sassuolo. He scored seven goals from midfield. I think with Brozovic leaving, that's that's a big loss, even though he wasn't actually sort of part of the starting eleven under Simone Inzaghi last season. You've lost someone who's an incredibly hard worker, one of the players who covered the most ground per game of anyone in Serie A for almost every season that, that he started there. Um, but I think Fratesi, 23 years old, Italy international already with, I think, six caps under his belt, has the potential to really step into... I think what I like about this signing and the reason that I like it so much is that Inter, sort of, surprisingly in some ways, because they were for so often under Moratti, previous ownership, they were always, as their name would suggest, the international Milan club, the one who were always sort of defined by their, their their foreign players they're building this really interesting core of young Italian players with Bastoni at centre-back with Barella in midfield with Di Marco um, playing so well at wing-back last season and I think Fratesi slotting into that that mix and and continuing to build this this strong domestic core is, is a really nice signing for me that maybe under radar is is overstating it but I don't think internationally probably got that much notice there you go, under the radar. Uh, maybe something like, I suppose, Javi Galan uh, to Atletico Madrid from Celta Vigo, given it's, a, it's actually quite an Atletico Madrid signing in that uh, someone just these kind of deals for that are almost players that almost feel like journeymen to a certain degree. Uh, but Simeone, because of what he does, whips them into shape. And I mean, the turnover of that club is incredible. And this is actually, so uh, of all the deals they've done this summer, this is one of only two where they've actually paid money for, although it's kind of, it's a very uh, restrained uh, 5 million euro. But if, if, it is the sort of deal where Simeone can at least make a player kind of um, become a, an important cog for him. Yeah, it's been an amazing transfer special series from us in this 2023. You can always listen again to the uh, specials that you've missed out. Uh, so thank you for, to both Miguel and to Nikki. Uh, this was our final OTC transfer special and our last episode of On the Continent on the Ramble feed. Our next episode will be on Thursday, August the 10th on the brand new On the Continent feed. So get on over there. The link is right there in today's episode's synopsis. And hit that subscribe button as well right now to make sure that you don't miss it. is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.